What does Advent mean? Well, in Latin, it means coming. And the first candle is the prophecy candle. What does it mean? Why does it matter? Well, with the first candle, we see the purpose and the, and the power of prophecy. And it's a reminder that Christ's coming was revealed by God through His Word to the prophets hundreds of years before He was born. And today we're going to look at some prophetic Old Testament scriptures that point to the advent, the coming of Jesus Christ, anointed one, Messiah. So I'm going to invite you to turn to that famous scripture in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and she will name him Emmanuel. And the word for sign in the Old Testament is exactly that. A, a, a Hebrew word study definition of the word sign reads as follows. It's an omen promised by prophets as a pledge of a certain predicted event. Much like a road sign is pointing ahead to something. It gives us some direction in the same way uh, a, a biblical Old Testament sign is this, it functions in the same way. And we see here that this will be a sign. A virgin will conceive. A virgin. Biology 101 or maybe 201. <laughs> a virgin will conceive. I would, I would call that a sign. <laughs> I would call that a sign, something miraculous. The virgin will give birth to a son. She will, she will call him, she will name him, she will proclaim him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, a term literally meaning with us is God. That last part of that word, Emmanuel, the E-L, that means the one, the only true God of Israel. With us is God. The Lord Himself will give this sign to His people. No one else can give this sign. Only the Lord. No one else can give this hope. Only one can give this promise as a pledge of what is to come. The Lord Himself. The Lord Adonai will give Himself to His people. The virgin will conceive. So what does it mean and why does it matter? Well, in the time of Isaiah, those... Well, and really it's no different than the world we live in in our day. They're dark days. In, in Isaiah's days... They're dark days in Judah and Israel. A people, a nation, established as one who was to originally be set apart by her unique relationship with the one and only true God of Israel. Well, now this nation suffers from sin. She, she suffers from a nationwide, people-wide infection of sin and self. She suffers from division. 
Israel is now two kingdoms, Judah and Israel, and two kingdoms, neither one of which follows the Lord very well at all. She suffers because she's turned from the things of God. She deals with anguish. She she is a nation in gloom. She is a nation in need of the promise that God is with her. Can we relate? Yes, we can. And now the Lord Himself, Himself will, will give this sign to His people. The Lord Himself, the Lord Adonai, will give Himself to His people. The virgin will conceive. And here's some more good news. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 9. Turn to Isaiah chapter 9, that first verse. But, but there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. Mm. In earlier times, he, the Lord, treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he will make it glorious by way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. What? What what does all that mean? Well, we'll get to that. There's going to be no more gloom, no more distress, no more gloom for one in anguish. But in the future, the Lord will honor the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. What does it mean? Why does it matter? Well, when Jesus begins His ministry in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was baptized in the river Jordan. John the Baptist, God the Father spoke, God the Holy Spirit descended like a dove upon Jesus. God the Father spoke. And then immediately Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. And then Jesus begins His public ministry. And what happens in Matthew chapter 4? Jesus comes and He settles in an area named Capernaum which is by the Sea of Galilee in the region which was formerly known as the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. And we read in Matthew chapter 4, verse 14, that this is to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Matthew makes a connection to what Isaiah says in chapter 9 that we're looking at right now. Matthew, in the New Testament, quotes Isaiah from the Old Testament, and and it's what we see here. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. We don't have to go too far to be around folks who are sitting in darkness. Sitting sitting in the darkness of the shadow of death. We, We don't have to stray too far. We can think of names and faces, can't we? This light dawns on Zebulun and Naphtali. What does that even mean? As my kids say, what does that even mean? 
The lands of Zebulun and Naphtali are first seen way back in Joshua 19. You remember Joshua fit the battle of Jericho? Well, in Joshua 19, you've got these two names mentioned. And these two lands are named for two tribes comprised of descendants of two sons of Jacob. Zebulun and Naphtali. And these, these land distributions are part of the promise given to two of the twelve tribes of Israel. Descendants of, of sons of Jacob. We're told in Genesis way back that the Lord made a covenant, a contract, a, a promise to a man named Abraham regarding land to his descendants. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac went on to have two sons, one of whom was named Jacob. And Jacob had twelve sons, two of whom are Zebulun and Naphtali. I named my sons something else. I've never heard of these names prior to reading the Bible, but two sons are named Zebulun and Naphtali. And what's the significance here? Well, the lands given to these tribes... These two tribes are, make up a large portion of the area there in the east, which later becomes known as Galilee. So why is this important? Well, if you're looking for clues, if you're a detective, this is what you find out. In his day, Isaiah points to not only where, but when the time frame will be for the Messiah who is to come. So how will the Lord make this land glorious? How how will the Lord free the land from, from gloom and constraint? Jesus would grow up and live in Nazareth, in Galilee, which is former, formerly Zebulun. Jesus would first teach in the, in the synagogue in Nazareth. Jesus would perform His first miracle at a, at a wedding in Cana in Galilee. Jesus would settle in Capernaum, which is by the Sea of Galilee, in that region of Zebulun and Naphtali, to begin His ministry to call His disciples. So how will the Lord make this land glorious? How will the Lord free the land from gloom? Well, in the land of the shadow of death, Jesus would preach that the Glorious kingdom of heaven has come near. That's what he said when he first came on the scene, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, repent. (laughs) First thing was repent. Turn from your sin, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're going to see that the light of salvation has dawned. And Isaiah says in chapter 9, verse 1, that later on the Lord will make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, by the way of the the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus' glory will be shown. Well, how will His glory be shown? Well, through miracles and signs and wonders. You remember, any time Jesus would, would heal someone, the crowds gave God the glory. Mm. On the other side of the Jordan, that's where Jesus will feed the 5,000. 
where Jesus' glory will be shown on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember the story. They're on the Mount, Peter, James, and John, and they see Jesus for who He really is, a, a foretaste of His heavenly glory. And just as God the Father spoke at the baptism of Jesus, God the Father speaks. God the Father speaks. There to Peter and James and John when Jesus is transfigured and says, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, listen to Him. Galilee is claimed by the Israelites. But it's also inhabited by non-Jewish residents or Gentiles. Galilee of the Gentiles, because Jesus came for all. He didn't just come for the Jews. He didn't just reveal Himself to the Israelites, but He died for all. And that's why through Isaiah we can hear the word of the Lord when we see that the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And friends, we live in a, a dark land, a dark time. Again, it doesn't take us long to, to be around a group of people to be in a room full of strangers and see darkness of the shadow of death over folks. Mm. A few verses later, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we read some famous words, some famous words of hope. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, a Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. What does it mean? Why does it matter? A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. Paul, in Colossians chapter 1, speaks of Jesus. He says, For by Jesus all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Jesus, the living Word, who will become flesh. And His name will be called Mighty God, a powerful name for God. In the original language, that same name, El, which we saw in Emmanuel, the one, the only true God of Israel, mighty, unique, only begotten. And His name will be called Eternal Father. And the only place in Scripture where the Word is written this way in the original language Eternal Father. Maybe even a more clear way to write it is this. Father of forever. Think on that for just a moment. Father of forever. From old and forever. Our, our brains can't comprehend what forever looks like. And his name will be called Prince of Peace. A prince, a, a regent, a ruler, a sovereign. Peace, boy, peace sounds good, doesn't it? We all need a little 
peace in our lives, all will be at rest. We, we saw in this season, we saw moms and grandmas and aunts and some dads and some uncles and some granddads scurry to prepare Thanksgiving meal. A lot of preparation. No rest for the, for the weary as food has to be prepared to feed an army on Thanksgiving Day and the day after and the day after that. Amen. And on Sunday afternoon too. The beautiful thing about leftovers, right? <laughs> but work went into that. And then you add to that strained family relationships. It's not a peaceful time in every household, is it? No, it's not. And so when we think about one who will come who will be sovereign, one who will come and who will be sovereign, and all will be at rest. That's something that I think sounds pretty good, and I bet you do too. Why does it all matter? Well, <laughs> a son has been given for us, uh, uh, to us, for us. One born for us, given for us. Jesus will go to the cross for us. Jesus, the beautiful, wonderful wisdom of God, Word made flesh, would go to the cross for us. Aren't we glad He's for us? Aren't we glad He has been given to us and for us? You see, it's no secret. Our world suffers from sin. We suffer from a, from a worldwide, people-wide infection of sin and self. We, we suffer from divisions. We have difficulty in following the Lord. We suffer because we've turned from the things of God. We deal with anguish. We are nations in gloom. And we are in desperate need of the promise that God is with us. In Luke chapter 1, there's an old man named Zechariah. He actually is the father of the baby who will be John the Baptist. And Zechariah would foretell of the Messiah and of salvation from the Lord, and salvation by the forgiveness of sin. And, and Zechariah says, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. And, and if any of you are reading the King James, it reads, the day spring from on high will visit us. To shine on those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Mm. The New Testament tells us that there's going to come a day when the Lord will return to claim His bride, His church, His people. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and all things will be made new. Jesus says of Himself in the very last book, 
the very last chapter, Revelation 22, Jesus says, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And if we would read, if we would go back and read the very last book in the Old Testament, Malachi, we read of one in Malachi who is the son of righteousness who will rise with healing in its wings. Jesus, this day spring, this sunrise of salvation, Jesus, this brighted morning star, Jesus, the Son of Righteousness, who will bring healing for the nations. Jesus tells us in this last chapter of the last book of the Bible, He says, yes, I am coming quickly. A new advent, a second advent. The Apostle John, who captured the Lord's words in this book of Revelation, responded to what Jesus would say about His advent, His return, His coming in this way. John says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Oh, come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel.